0: Beloved, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 3, being verses 13 to 18. If you're visiting us and you're using a Bible in a chair, it is found on page 1072, verses 13 to 18. If you do not own a Bible, please take that as a gift from us. If you are able to, please stand for the reading of God's word. Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come Down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. This is the Word of God. Praise be to God. You may be seated. Reality TV shows have been around for quite some time, became popularized in the 1990s and the early 2000s. I don't advise you to watch them. But if you do watch them, then you know that almost all of them run the same play. Have a group of people, men and women, different ethnicities, different backgrounds. They are coming together, living in a house or living somewhere. And without fail, you're going to see many things. You're going to see some romance, some friendships, You're going to see folly. You're going to see jealousy, selfishness, envy, selfish ambition. You're going to see fights, drama, factions, and sometimes destruction. They call that entertainment. As you watch it, you're going to see that every person there is operating according to some sort of wisdom that they think. More often than not, almost always, what you see is worldly being after and for themselves. You will see pride and its disparaging ends. Why? Because they're sinners. Likely don't know the Lord. So there's no reverence of, no love for, no submission to him and his ways. More often than not, relationships that are characterized by ungodly wisdom doesn't end well. It wreaks havoc. Leads to much pain. No unity, no love, no peace, because there's no submission to the God of peace, the very one who created relationships, who created us for relationships, and tells us how we're to go about our relationships with one another. This is very common in the world, and it should not be that way among the people of God. Why? Because God in his grace has rescued us. He has saved us through the sending of his son. We went from being his enemies to, by the grace of Christ, being reconciled to him. And not only that, in Christ Jesus, we've been reconciled to one another where we are to have peace because we do have peace. And on this side of glory, in the... With sin being present, because sin is present, our unity, our peace, our love is oftentimes threatened and sin seeks to assault it. So, beloved, how are we going to navigate relationships where we avoid destruction and we seek to maintain the peace and unity that Christ Jesus has brought about? We need wisdom. We need godly wisdom. The very wisdom that is contrary to our flesh and countercultural to the thinking of this age. We need a wisdom that leads us to be loving and causes us to pursue peace. James gets at that in this morning's passage. So our big idea from this passage, if you're taking notes, is this. As Christians, pursue godly wisdom to cultivate peace in your relationships. As Christians, pursue godly wisdom to cultivate peace in your relationships. I have three points for us, and they are words of exhortation. First, demonstrate wisdom by your deeds. Second, despise ungodly wisdom. Third, pursue godly wisdom for peace. Demonstrate wisdom by your deeds, despise ungodly wisdom, and pursue godly wisdom for peace. First, demonstrate wisdom by your deeds. Look at verse 13. James says, who among you is wise and understanding? It begins the section with a question in regards to wisdom and understanding. Now, it's important for us to know that when he talks about wisdom, he's not talking about earthly wisdom for the sake of survival, the type of wisdom that older generation impart to younger generation, generation to help us thrive. It's not those wise sayings like, to be early is to be on time, as to be on time is to be late, and to be late is to be Forgotten. It's not the kind of wisdom that my psychology professor gave us to say that, man, hey, there are three words that can end almost any argument. You're probably right. Some of y'all are going to take that and try to apply that to see if it works. But that's not the kind of wisdom that James is getting at here. You see, the wisdom that James is getting at is a practical wisdom for holy living. The wisdom that he's getting at is a wisdom to where one has knowledge of who God is and his word and seeking to apply it to their very own lives, having insights. The reality is, beloved, God's people are not to be marked by folly but to be marked by wisdom. Think about James chapter 1, verse 5. He says, ask the question, if you lack wisdom, be it ungrudgingly and it will be given to him. God wants his people to be wise. Think about the very scriptures that we have. You have a section of wisdom literature. Books like Job and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. In fact, the very evidence of our maturity in Christ is that you and I are growing in wisdom. God is the wise one. God is wise. He is all wise. He possesses wisdom in infinite measure. Proverbs 8 personifies wisdom and talks about how he made the world with wisdom. In Romans chapter 11, the Apostle Paul is blown away by God's wisdom in the work of our salvation and where he just begins to worship God, saying, Oh, the depths of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How unscrutable are his counseled counselor. He doesn't ask for, nor do he takes advice from creatures. He's never lacking in any sort of information. And his wisdom, it is always contrary to fallen humans. confounds it. Think about the work of the cross. Fallen humans would hear the work of the cross and see it as folly. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 that the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man that in God's wisdom he would send his son to become a man and salvation will be brought about not through, through physical conquering but through physical suffering. God is the wise one, and so if we are going to be wise, it begins with him, knowing, loving, revering, prostrating ourselves before and cherishing God. The scriptures are very clear on this. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So James asked the question. As you've been tracking with us in the book of James, you would know that James is a practitioner. James is always about that action, boss, You see, James knows that a knowledge of God is intended to fill the head, warm the heart, and impact the hands. Which is why his conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. Wisdom, it is communicated by words. We see this in the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And it is also demonstrated by deeds. Just as in chapter 2, James says, show your faith by your works. Well, here in chapter 3, James says, show your wisdom by your conduct. He makes clear the manner by which the wisdom is to be done in gentleness, in humility. The ongoing loving and looking to the interest of others. But by God's grace, ongoing mindfulness of the frame of the people that you're interacting with. In fact, this is evidence of the fact that one has believed in Jesus Christ and the gospel is at work in the hearts of those who believe because this doesn't come natural. In and of ourselves, we are not a humble and gentle people, arrogant but what God's saving work in Christ does is it changes. By God's grace, we can truly do deeds in humility and gentleness. And as we do so, we reflect the one who is gentle. Jesus describes himself in Matthew 11. He says, I am lowly and humble in heart. Our Savior is gentle and Compassionate. Tender in his dealings with his people. And so a saving faith in him is the result to by God's grace, an imitation of him. It's where we pattern our lives after Christ. Scripture makes clear there is a relationship between wisdom and humility. Proverbs chapter 11 verse 2 says, When arrogance comes, disgrace follows. But with humility comes wisdom. So we're not thinking too highly of ourselves. When life is not about us, and that is not just a mindset, but it is also intended to be displayed in our actions. Aiming to give no offense. They are seeking to help and not hurt. Those who are marked by this, by the grace of God, seek to strengthen relationships, not sever them. Think about gentle words. They don't inflame fights. Instead, they diffuse fires. Proverbs 15, one, a gentle word turns away wrath. Demonstrate our love. gentleness we are seeking to serve others and so brothers and sisters the question to consider is do you consider yourself to be wise and if so does your conduct give credence to that assumption that assessment those who know the real you whether it's your spouse your roommates, or your closest friends, would they describe your conduct to be marked by gentleness and humility? The scriptures ongoingly exhort us towards a posture and a lifestyle of humility and gentleness. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility meekness, and patience. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us to be tender-hearted and compassionate towards one another. Philippians 2 tells us to look not to our own interest, but also to the interest of others. Beloved, God's people, our deeds are to be marked by gentleness and humility. If we're going to do this, it begins... With fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ. God's grace seeking to imitate him. Until there are two wisdoms. You have ungodly wisdom and you have godly wisdom. And James is going to spell that out for us real clear. Demonstrate your wisdom by your deeds. And we're also to despise ungodly wisdom. Look at verse 14. He says, but if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast and deny the truth. This is likely common in the church. In the churches that he's writing to, there was much division as we will see next time in chapter 4. talks about bitter envy and selfish ambition, a heart that is consumed with sin, will show itself in the deeds motivating envy and selfish ambition. Both are works of the flesh. Both seek to assault peace and unity in personal relationships and in the covenant community. Think about bitter envy. Very synonymous with jealousy. For what they have or the position that they're in, assuming that you should have that position, that you should have that possession. Deeds motivated by bitter envy and selfish, bitter envy in particular, is seeking to impose your own will to get the very thing that you're after. James also mentioned selfish, I made mean, selfish ambition, where this is a, a self advancement regardless of who it hurts. Both of these things have one thing in common, and it's focusing upon the self. Self Self-centeredness, self-consumption, self-exaltation, and a zero regard for others. We are prone to insist on our own way, and are willing to do whatever and harm whoever to attain the very thing that we want. Even if we think about our own deeds and emotives, how often is it that envy and selfish ambition are the impetus, whether it's at work or at home, even in our relationships within the context of the church, How often is that the case? James is making clear that it's very well. And he says that if that is the case, then do not boast. Don't brag as if you are doing this for out of a love for God, a concern for his glory, as if you are concerned about love and unity. James here is calling the bluff, and he says in verse 15, such wisdom does not come down From above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. The first phrase, "Does it come down from above?" alludes to James chapter one verse seventeen, where he says, "Every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights." James is making it abundantly clear that deeds motivated by envy and selfish ambition—they are not of God. That God didn't sign off on that. God doesn't approve of that. that is not of him. It is, in fact, the very antithesis of the character and nature of God. God is a good and gracious, holy, righteous, and sinless God. And so this ungodly wisdom is the exact opposite of all who he is. This is... Worldly wisdom. Earthly, not coming down from above, but coming up from below. Renewed, unredeemed humanity. James actually makes clear the source of this wisdom. He says that it is demonic. It is ungodly. It is evil. Deceitful. It is deadly. Think about the fall. The counsel that Satan gave Eve in the garden. The very antithesis of what God said. Satan told Eve that you won't surely die. You will be like God. And When Adam and Eve ate, they did die. Beloved, Satan's wisdom, worldly wisdom, always, always, always points us away from God. It arouses the flesh and encourages fleshly pursuit. And the thing is, in this day and age, as in every day and age, since the fall, humanity has been constantly bombarded because Satan is the ruler of this age. Constantly being encouraged to put self first, that freedom is found in self discovery. To do what makes you happy, and who cares? Your own heart, beloved. See the wisdom for what it truly is. It is ungodly. It is demonic. It tickles the ears and folks who drink their Kool-Aid, it tastes sweet, but it always ends in disaster. James even makes that abundantly clear in verse 16. He says, for where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder in every evil practice. Worldly wisdom, ungodly wisdom, Deeds that are motivated by selfish ambition and envy, they never lead to life, joy, human flourishing, or peace. Always, always, always divide and destruct. James himself even says every evil practice being very vague because it produces all kinds of evil. Speaks with great certainty here. That where this is prevalent, no personal, no person, no relationship, no community, no society, no nation thrives when deeds are motivated by envy and selfish ambition. Beloved, name a relationship that that has thrived when the deeds were motivated by envy and selfish ambition. Name one. Name one to where you're like, man, hey, they love each other even more. They are marked by peace and unity. I want my relationship to be like that. That's exemplary. We can't. They're never held as examples to follow but as examples to avoid. And when this is prevalent, I can tell you right now that that relationship, that society, it is headed off a cliff. Maybe in selfish ambition, beloved, people get hurt and wounds cut deep. As we talked about, you see it in reality TV. You look at that and you rarely ever, hardly ever be like, man, I want my relationships to be that way. I haven't named one person that said that before. happens quite often among unbelievers. And if we're not careful, it can happen among us. Among the people of God. Where there's a carelessness for those who you're commanded to love. A consumption of one's own will and not the Lord's being done. It will always lead to division. To wickedness. And those things should not be marked among God's covenant people, but what should be marked among us is that we'll be a people who are marked by love, peace, unity, because Christ has saved us. He has made us a part of his family. The church is the covenant people of God, and as God's covenant people, we are to take upon the character of our covenant-making and covenant-keeping Lord. Lord. When he has saved us and sealed the sincere in beloved, as the church, know that there is no other institution here on earth that has been tasked with the responsibility to show the world what God and His kingdom is like. Only the church, and so where there is disorder, discord. Envy, evil practices, it throws shade upon the gospel of Christ. It distorts the very image of God who we are commanded to reflect. Love this has no place in the Christian life nor in Christian churches. There is no room for envy, selfish ambition, and worldly wisdom because it is the very antithesis of love. Think about 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul explicitly says that love does not envy, love does not insist on its own way. Because we are fallen, we could so easily fall prey towards these things. Envy and selfish ambition are peace killers, and so we, by God's grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit, need to kill them within us. As I said, we are constantly bombarded with messages that encourage envy and selfish ambition, and so how much more do we need to have discernment? How much more do we need to sift every message through the lens of Scripture? And not just that, but when we hear the ungodly wisdom of this age, our response should not be to entertain it, beloved, but to despise it, to reject it, to pray and take captive those thoughts. Because we are constantly bombarded with ungodly wisdom, how much more should we consume ourselves with the wisdom of God found in Scripture? How much more should we seek to consume ourselves with edifying content? The very things that will build us up in Christ and lead us to truly love. If we want our relationships to be sweet, to be encouraging, to be marked by peace, then we dare not walk according to the wisdom of this age and do deeds Motivated by envy and selfish ambition. Those things do not and will not ever lead to life and flourishing. Paul evokes, you sow according to the flesh. You're not reaping eternal life. You're reaping destruction. That is the end of all ungodly wisdom. James makes clear that there is a better way, that there is a better wisdom, and it comes from above. And so we're to be a people who pursue godly wisdom. Look at verse 17. It says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense. Think about verse 17. It gives a stark contrast. The wisdom that God gives. The contrast is clear. A different source. One is coming down from below, leads to destruction. The other one comes from above, and it has different results. Ungodly wisdom, disorder, every evil practice. Godly wisdom, peace, love. Children, I want you to know that God is a good, good God. That He is a loving God. And that His ways are good because He is good. His wisdom leads to love because He is loving. So if you want to Grow in being a better child, a better sibling, a better student, a better friend. Make it your aim to learn more and more about God's wisdom. In fact, when you head home today, Ask your parents to teach you about God's wisdom and give you examples on how you can apply it. For I know that your parents would love to do that. Verse 17, James says the wisdom from above. Once again, he is combining and alluding to things that he's already mentioned in the book. As I said earlier, James chapter 1, verse 5, if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God. James chapter 1, verse 17, every good and perfect gift is coming down from above. And so here we see that wisdom is a gift from God. And it's given through the means of his people seeking him. It's a gift from God. Think about 1 Kings chapter 4. God had a conversation with Solomon asking Solomon what it is you want. And Solomon asked for wisdom and God gave him wisdom. It's a gift. We're to seek it out. And so if we want to grow in godly wisdom, beloved, we need to be a prayerful and studious people. A prayerful and studious people. Jesus got at this. Matthew chapter 7, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. So what we're to do is we're to ask God to give us wisdom. And the asking is where it starts, not where it ends. If we're asking God for wisdom, then we need to put our heads in the book that he has revealed himself, and seek him for the wisdom that is found in the word. The book. If you survey the history of this world, even church history, you will see that the godliest and the wisest men and women were not those whose Bibles were closed and whose prayer lives were non-existent. That only leads to folly. But the godliest and the wisest of people are those who, by God's grace, are devoted to prayer. Devoted to studying the word of God and not being a mere hearer of it. Being a very doer. Knowing that God's word is the word of life. So, brothers and sisters, if we're going to pursue godly wisdom, we need to devote ourselves to the personal spiritual disciplines. Taking in the word, meditating upon it, and seeking God in prayer. Beloved, how are you doing in this? How are you doing in this? see, life in a fallen world, it is hard. We fail. We're in, we need wisdom, not from ourselves, but wisdom from God. Think about all the trials we face, whether it's a difficult colleague, a hard roommate, a struggling marriage, a rebellious child. And all these and more, we need wisdom that only comes from God. But what's so amazing about God is that he is gracious. He is generous. He gives and gives and gives. And James here is talking about the multifaceted attributes of wisdom. And this wisdom that he gives, it reflects his character. Look at the list. He says, but the wisdom from above is first pure. Here he's getting at the fact that it is preeminent. God is pure. And as he is, he is holy. And so the wisdom that he gives reflects him, flaw. James goes on and says, this is prim." so it's marking everything about the wisdom of God. He says, then peace-loving. The wisdom is not contentious. In fact, it's the very antithesis of the disorder that ungodly wisdom gives. It is the pursuit of harmony among one another. It is kind and patient. James says that it is considerate. I mean, gentle, it is considerate, it is a wisdom that is mindful of others, gentle in interactions. He goes on to say that it is compliant, it's not controlling, in fact, it's the very opposite of selfish ambition, because it's not insisting on its own way. In fact, it's willing to yield to others insofar as they are not compromising theologically or ethically. James says that it is full of mercy. This wisdom leads one to have a merciful disposition in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Seeing that God has been abundantly merciful towards us. This eagerness to show mercy towards others. Good fruits. Once again, James is being vague because the fruit is numerous. Just like every evil practice is numerous in wickedness, well, the good fruits here is numerous in goodness. It is unwavering. It is impartial and enduring. It is without pretense being sincere without hypocrisy, having this single-minded devotion to doing good, just like God in chapter 1. Beloved, the attributes of God's wisdom here, when you really think about it, it's in the context of relationships. And not only that, but it pursues peaceful and loving relationships. To where by God's grace, if we walk in the very wisdom that God gives, think about how sweet our relationships will be. Personally, how refreshed we will be, how much we will actually refresh others. Corporately, there'd be greater and greater degrees of an eagerness to maintain unity in the context of the local church. Think about the relationships that would blossom like flowers in the spring. If daily we sought the Lord. Beloved, well, think about how much stronger would marriages be if both spouses were seeking to walk in accordance to godly wisdom. How sweet friendships, how much would they flourish? Think about the beauty of God's ways being put on full display. May we be a people who commit ourselves to the pursuit of godly wisdom and applying his word to our lives. So friends, if you know yourself to not be a Christian, I am glad that you are here. I assume that, man, when you hear this, you're probably like, man, I want this in my own life. And honestly, who don't? Friends, if you know yourself to not be a Christian, it's good to be concerned about peace. And I would encourage you to redirect it first and foremost. Say, like, yeah, you want peace with man, but more than anything, you need peace with God. Your sin has separated you from a God of peace, yours and mine's. And what he offers to the gospel of Christ, the sending of his son, is the very thing that all humanity needs, peace with him, and it only comes through Jesus Christ. Christ suffered for our sins. Christ bled and died and rose again. So if you want peace, first and foremost, seek it with God by trusting in Jesus. And by God's grace, he will make you one who leads you to pursue peace with others. If you want, you can talk with any of our members after service. We'll gladly have the conversation. Brothers and sisters, if you are looking for an example of the godly wisdom being embodied in human form, look no other than Jesus Christ. As the son of God who became man, and throughout his life, he walked in godly wisdom. His word and his ways were and are Pure. He is peace-loving as he came to bring peace, and peace is found in him. He is a gentle and compassionate Savior. He is rich in mercy. He always does good works. He is wholeheartedly committed to doing the Father's will and being for God's glory and our good. And the work of Jesus Christ on the cross transforms all who trust in him where it makes us to be these kinds of people the Holy Spirit that has sealed us is a spirit of wisdom and as we walk by the spirit we begin to exude more and more godly wisdom think about the Beatitudes that we read in the corporate scripture reading what God does in transforming our lives is he makes us humble he makes us merciful he makes us peacemakers So this is why we're to be marked by these things. Because our salvation has transformed us to be a new type of people. James concludes in verse 18, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. Concludes with a specific declaration, getting at agricultural language. Those who labor for God, honoring Christ, exalting peace, will one day get to experience and enjoy the fruit of it. The very word that is emphasized in these last two verses is the word peace. You see it three times. Intended to be experienced in a context of a relationship. So as we pursue Godly peace, as we cultivate it, what it does is it testifies to our sonship in Jesus Christ. Think about the beatitude, we will be called sons of God. By God's grace, as we work towards this, we get to experience more and more, in part, what we will have one day in full and glory. Peace. Unity. As God's kingdom is a kingdom of peace. In fact, as we do this, we show that we truly are the first fruits of God's new creation. That we've been born again by the grace of God. So as we think about reality TV, they show us something. A bunch of folly, a bunch of sin, leading to destruction. But as God's covenant people, you and I, in Christ Jesus, we have an opportunity to not display reality TV, but to display heavenly TV, where there's unity, love, joy, and peace. And the way that we do that is by God's grace, we walk according to godly wisdom. May that be true of us. Let's pray.